0: Welcome to the Kupinger Cole Analyst Chat. I will be your host. My name is Matthias Reinbart. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinger Kohl Analysts. We will focus today on specific and hopefully interesting topics that we as analysts encounter in our daily work. This work that we do is mainly focused on the topic areas of cybersecurity, identity and access management, AI, and much more. Here we do in-depth research, but also advisory work with vendors and end users as clients alike. In each edition, I will have one guest joining me, often a fellow analyst or another interesting partner, and we will have a 15 minutes or so chat around current topics. My guest today is John Torbert. He is lead advisor with he is Cole. He is located in Seattle, so this is a long-distance podcast, and let's try to find out how this works. We will talk about how to protect data in a hostile world and I now would like to welcome John. Hi John, how are you doing?
1: Good, how are you?
0: I'm fine, so, um, so this long distance call seems to work out. Our topic today is how to protect data in a hostile world. And I assume that is an increasingly important topic just right now. Maybe we, we start out with, with one interesting question. Why do we need to do better at protecting data in today's world? So we are failing currently?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a very difficult game being a defender uh, in the cybersecurity world. It's much easier, I think, as everyone knows, to be an attacker, and attackers are just wildly escalating. Uh, We see an increase uh, daily in the number and types of malware. You know, malware is often a vector for getting in and gaining access to either personal machines or uh, your work devices. You know, with the goal of being able to steal their credentials, um, oftentimes, unfortunately, it's it's username and password rather than some strong method of authentication. And then the goal is to take some sort of data, whatever they can find, lots of different kinds of data. Uh, so yeah, we see that there's an increasing number of attacks, increasing sophistication, uh, changes in the types of malware that are out there. Uh, You know, ransomware was really big a couple of years ago. and That's when it first broke in the news. But ransomware continues to be a problem to this day. And there have even been variations in that in the last year that kind of look like ransomware, but they actually are designed to destroy your data. So just another example of the wildly different kinds of, of malware and threats that we all face today. Okay,
0: so it's just only vandalism left, uh, not, not, no longer this ransom approach, but really just destroying. I just heard about a, a, a hospital that really shut down in the current situation because the, the complete IT was um, um, infected with ransomware. Um, and that is really something that needs to be prevented just right now.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in traditional ransomware is still active too. You know, like you said, hospitals, uh, public services, state and local governments around the world are are finding that uh, ransomware perpetrators are still actively pursuing them, even in these dangerous times. So, uh, yeah, there's there's still traditional ransomware as well as these wiperware uh, we're now calling them that may or may not have some sort of uh, political motivation behind them as well.
0: Okay, get it. So um, I, I've learned that that malware uh, in general is always uh, or can be at least the entry point of a, of a longer-running attack. So malware is the, the, the first step into an organization's network or onto the target's computer um but what is what is the target then of these longer running um, um attacks when this is just the entry point
1: well yeah i think you're right i think if you consider the motives of attackers generally they want something and malware is a is often unfortunately a very good way of getting it uh, if you can take remote control of somebody's machine then you can get access to the files that that they have on their machines or in their connected network drives or access to their cloud resources. But, you know, it doesn't even have to be uh, involving malware. That's why we see lots and lots of social engineering, phishing, anything to try to get information from someone that someone else might consider valuable. Um, So yeah, multiple entry points, malware being a very big one because um, it's, it's so prolific today there are many different kinds of malware unfortunately there are malware as a service vendors where you can have some randomized encrypted uh, custom malware that you can go on the dark web and buy and then distribute yourself so you don't even really need the the skills at programming that you once did in order to be able to <laughs> launch malware based attacks
0: yeah that's that's really st- still something that 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 strikes me that this is really a, a proper business model to provide this, this malware to be on the other side of the stuff that we are doing. But on the other hand, as you've mentioned, there are, there are not only the on-premises networks anymore. Um, important information for today's uh, industries is spread across many platforms. This cloud-first, hybrid-first approach means that data can be anywhere from AWS um, to to Azure, to on-prem, to hybrid, hosted by an MSP. How do I make sure that that I, I keep track of all my data? Where is it? Where can I deal with it? How do I deal with it?
1: You know, I think as a security practitioner, you've hit upon problem number one, you know, just knowing where the data is. Uh, You know, there there are fortunately some tools around now that can help with that. There are things that will allow uh, company administrators to discover uh, all the pertinent data and then classify it. And by classify, I mean assign some sort of um, value that allows for better protection within an organization. And then on the cloud side, there are cloud access security brokers, which it's kind of an, an interesting subject in itself, but it, it's a way of utilizing services to discover your company or organization's other use of cloud services. So finding out where your users are storing their data, if it's not on your own networks and your own devices and servers and shares and whatnot. So, it, yeah, it's a very, it's a very difficult problem to get around, but it's not impossible. Um, uh, There are tools like DLP, data leakage uh, prevention tools that can help with this discovery and classification, and then also being able to enforce some of those classifications. Uh, Like, let's say you've got data of different types or information of different values that you want to be able to protect. DLP can allow you to prevent users from, say, copying it to a thumb drive or Sending it to their personal webmail service, you know, absconding it with it from the company. In other words, um, yeah. You know, and and let's think for just a moment about the different kinds of data that need to be protected too. Not just where is it located, but there's PII. We're probably all familiar with that, especially in the after GDPR, personally identifiable information. Uh, information about people, things that they they do and buy their their biometrics, um, things like that are are considered highly sensitive in most jurisdictions, and for many different reasons, companies or different organizations may be storing that kind of information, so they need to protect it wherever uh, it happens to be found and in line with GDPR, there are uh, data privacy impact assessment tools that are out there now that can also help with the discovery and classification uh, phases.
0: Okay, but if I think of the of these standard way of organizations dealing with data, if I think of something just as an example like Teams or SharePoint Online where we just throw in data, apply a bit of, of access control, so uh, the, the, the layman would suggest that data is secure because I have to log in and I have applied some restriction read-only or or even hidden for some users. But once this information is in use by the users so or opened in Word or opened in the web browser, uh, it is subject to any kind of exfiltration. Um, so how can I add additional layers of protection because otherwise I I don't see the adequate level of protection that you just described when it comes to to critical data like PII or like, uh, I don't know, intellectual property of an organization. And this is what is usually on these SharePoint drives.
1: Well, let me begin by answering that by saying yes, I think there's, and with a caveat, yes, there are ways that very determined attackers can subvert most of the controls that we put out there. But um, you know, our job in cybersecurity especially is to make it as difficult as possible uh, for those things to happen. And you make a good point about uh, file shares and SharePoints. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done for you. There's a lot of comfort that you can get by using a an integrated tool suite like O365 or SharePoint uh, and what that can buy you in terms of ease of access control. But I think you know most of the time, administrators really need to take it to the next level in terms of defining those permissions about what's in SharePoint. Because yeah, I think too often people will, put uh, folders on SharePoint and add far more inclusive permissions than what are really necessary for uh, actually getting the job done. So in those cases, you know, we recommend using tools around uh, IGA, access intelligence, maybe data access governance as well. You know, looking at the data, how users interact with specific information objects and determining what the appropriate level of entitlement permission access control uh, should be on each type of data object as well that can help us you know as security administrators to lock down uh, entitlements to uh, enforce the principle of least privilege.
0: Okay Um, when when we talk about encryption I, I usually always think of if we if we encrypt data and put it on SharePoint it's like like a big data dump where you have data which is no longer in an adequate format that all these nice shiny software as a service solutions can actually work with it and process it and index it and search it. Is it really of, of any help in there um, when, when the data afterwards is not longer usable in the way that you would expect it to be?
1: You know, encryption encryption is great. I mean, and, and if we look at, you know, the two major forms, encryption in transit, encryption at rest, you know, the world has gotten pretty good about encryption in transit. Uh, and And also there are lots of tools that are good for encrypting your stuff inside SharePoint or other kinds of file repositories. But the problem there is really more on the usability side. Let's say... I need to collaborate with somebody outside my company. How do I, how do I grant them access to that? Well, maybe one way is to copy it to a new SharePoint. But then, you know, how do you share encryption keys or certificates with somebody outside your company? Right. That that's where it starts to get a lot more complicated, and the usability usability uh, usually overrules security, and that's why you see things getting. Uh, decrypted for sharing.
0: Right now, we are in this weird situation we are all in right now. So, with the Corona crisis being around f- at least in in a, in a real tangible way for two weeks or so to anybody around the world, more or less, um, and that of course has many has moved many organizations to um, to work from home scenarios. Um, is this something that that you expect to be worsening the situation in general and maybe also over-challenge just the, the, the typical standard end user?
1: Yes, I, th- I think it's brought a whole slew of challenges that many people were really not ready for. I mean, there are some companies that are already adept at large-scale telecommuting. Uh, they have modern security architectures where they 're applying good access controls on on cloud hosted solutions and you know they have less you know on premise as well but you know unfortunately that 's not most companies as of yet, so I think we 've all many companies have been on a rapid learning curve about how to do this and and we 're aware of instances where Companies may have sent everybody home to work. They may not even have their own laptops, so they may be sending home desktops, so they may be telling people to use their own devices. The problems get multiplied when you do the BYOD situation there. The D turns into debacle because you really have no control over the endpoints then. So you have machines that are accessing your resources that you don't control. You don't know if they're properly patched. You don't know if they're running any sort of endpoint protection. Uh, You may or may not have any control over the ways they authenticate. So yeah, this is uh, an extra dangerous time because of the lack of preparedness that that many had uh, in the work from home scenario.
0: Okay, got it. So now that we are analysts and advisors, maybe for the final question for that podcast, um, if you were to provide say three key recommendations for anybody for those who are now thrown into this work from home scenario but also if this is over sometimes in the future how to to how to mitigate these issues and how to prepare better for working in this more modern way uh, in the 2020s what would be your three recommendations?
1: Well, I think probably the most important is we know that there are large-scale attacks going on against, say, VPNs. So a lot of companies sent people home, and they're allowing wide, unfettered access through their VPNs to all the corporate resources. I would say, if possible, quickly find a secure cloud collaboration service that you use and turn on multi-factor authentication for that. Uh, I think the passwords as a, a vector for getting into personal machines as well as corporate resources—it's just too easy. And I think you can get the most um, most value security-wise by moving to a secure cloud collaboration platform that supports supports multi-factor authentication. That would be number one, and then and then use CASB, the cloud access security brokers. Uh, if your company, likely, you know, your your users are using cloud services, now is the time to get a handle on where that data is going. Find it, and then, again, turn on multi-factor authentication once you've used CASB to find your data. And then, lastly, for uh, data on-premises scenarios, I think DLP is still a really a valuable tool for that discovery, classification, and enforcement of your security policies. And really, it's the only way to control your your loose data. Things that that may be on file shares that users can download to their desktops and then put onto a USB drive or or move into personal mail or upload somewhere. That is uh, probably one of the bigger concerns I would have right now.
0: Okay, great. Thank you very much, John. Um, I assume that since this topic is so huge and we just had 15 minutes for today, that we will follow up on this in further podcasts as well. And usually I do a summary right now at that point of the podcast, but with your three recommendations being so 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 such a good summary in itself, I would like to close it down here. Thank you again, John, for joining me here today. And I look forward to having you as a guest in one future or more future editions of this podcast. Uh, Stay safe. Thank you very much. And to the audience, thank you very much for listening. Bye, John.
1: Bye. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.